Hey, everybody. Since I saw you last, we graduated our first kid from high school. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I say we because it is a collective effort. Uh, hey, so we're starting a new series, and I need to set this up, hopefully, where you know what's about to play out. And so I'm going to say something you might say that was rather dogmatic of, of David to say. So listen, I believe wholeheartedly that today God wants to share something with you, wants you to hear something that is from him, that is about him. So I don't know what your reason is for, for church, but one of them needs to be that it's about God. And so when we like spend time with God, it's that we would hear from him, that we would focus on him, that we would talk about him, that we would hear from him. So, so I hope, and I say hope, uh, there, there's something there that you would hear from God. But there will be a part of this that is a now do this. You got that? Like, it's not just like, well, that was nice to listen to. Uh, no, this, this is a, here's what I believe God wants you to hear. Do something with it. Okay? You got it? Yeah? You're like, but it depends. What's God going to say? <laughs> so Jesus is having a moment where he's talking to people, and, and they're very intrigued by what he's saying and how he's saying it, and the specifics of what he's saying is blowing their minds. And in the particular instance I'm talking about, there are what, the, what they're called teachers of religious law. Teachers of religious law. Does that not sound like a fun job? <laughs> that was like their gig. That was their thing. That they, they woke up, did whatever they do in the morning, and they went and taught religious law. So we can make some, I think, safe inferences here. We can, we can infer that a teacher of religious law thought a lot about religious law. That's what seminary teaches you. I just want you to know. But, but even more than that, you have to suspect that, that he thought even a lot about it. In other words, he valued it. It was important to him that he would spend his life like waking up and teaching other people, studying the law itself, memorizing the law, and making sure everyone knew about the law, that there was a bit of a good, healthy agenda that he like, felt like he had nailed his purpose. Like, like, like he was like, I'm doing something legit, and it's all about the law. So think about what a person of religious law, someone who taught that, think about their interaction with Jesus, who wasn't so much all about religious law being primary. So the moment that this guy, teacher of religious law, is able to ask Jesus a question, it should be insightful to you and I going, hmm, what does a teacher of religious law ask the Son of God? And it's fascinating to me what happens. Mark chapter 12 one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he's impressed. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Is that not the quintessential? That's like what you think a teacher of religious law would ask Jesus, going, so Jesus, since law is the most important, which of the laws is the most important? I wonder what you'd ask Jesus if you're like face-to-face -face in that moment. You might say, Jesus, I'd like to know 
um, my purpose in life. You might ask Jesus if you're single, like you're like, what's going to happen in the, in the future? If you're looking for a job, am I going to get this job? You know, I don't know what you would ask Jesus, but the, this guy has this moment with Jesus, and he decides to say, law. He makes Jesus focus entirely on religion and law. How stinking boring and annoying. You kind of wish he'd asked something different so you and I could at least get some good insight. Before you hate too much, I don't think this teacher of religious law started off thinking law was everything. Have you ever found yourself starting off with, here's the agenda, here's what this is all going to be about, but then it ended up not being about that? Let me walk you into your summer. So, I don't know what you're going to do this summer, but my guess is you've got some things planned, you're going to have fun. You might be going to some baseball games, maybe your kid's playing baseball, maybe you still play baseball, maybe like me, you play softball, and the ultimate goal is just don't get hurt, right? That's the first question, Katie's like, so did you get hurt? Cool, did you win? Like, so, I... Yeah, what your, whatever your summer plans are, maybe you're going to be at some ball fields, you're excited, you're ready, your kids are maybe playing t-ball for the first time, and you think it's going to be awesome, and then you <clears throat> learn, and then eventually <laughs> your, your kid starts like, like, there's people pitching, and it gets a little bit more fun, but maybe that's not you. Uh, maybe you're going to cook out, which, I mean, that's what our family does uh, in, in the not so distant past. I mean, I've got an umbrella over the grill. That's how dedicated I am, right? We're, we're going to grill out. The, the, just the smells do something. If you've, have you been out and about now? You smell something? Summer's here and you can smell it. Uh, some of you are going to forget that you're paying a mortgage on one house, and so then you're going to go live out in the woods for a little bit, and you're like, this is fun, and you're going to pay for that too, and it's like, this is cool. It's what you like to do. I'm not hating on it. Just interesting to me, and so you, but you're like, fun for you, the summer's going to be camping and stuff, and Katie and I, we've started kayaking, and we love going out kayaking, it's awesome, but I, I say this from experience, it happens a lot to us even on vacation, you're like, vacation's going to be awesome, you plan it, it's going to be so restful, stress-free, and if you're driving out of Rapid City, before you even get to Wall, you're fighting as a family, and you're saying, we're turning this around, we're not going on vacation. Maybe you went camping and, and the sewer thing didn't work right and you're like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. Maybe you went kayaking and you couldn't figure it out and you fried your forehead and you're just like, what in the world? Have you ever like, this is what we're going to do, this is going to be serene and peaceful and amazing. We're going to spend time as a family, it's going to be wonderful. But, but then you end up yelling at each other, not liking it, and you're frustrated. I'm just trying to give you a, a soon-to-experience experience that you're going to have. So when we read about a teacher of religious law and we're like, man, what a jerk. We hate all the teachers of religious law. Let's make an inference here. What if he started off loving God and thinking life was all about God? But along the way, got caught up in stuff and started believing that religion and law was everything about God. I just don't want you hating on because I think we're all very similar in this, is that sometimes we get drifted away. But that's why we need Jesus. Because you and I, we drift. And I love how Jesus answers this guy, like, hey, what's the most important law? Because life is all about law. And so Jesus even uses like, oh, I'll use your law language, law man. He doesn't say that. That's my interpretation. But 
Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No, the commandment is greater than these. I love what Jesus just did. He's like, you want to talk about law and the most important laws? Cool. I'm going to turn it upside down. And in that moment, Jesus wrecked religion. And I love it. Jesus said relationships are more important than religion. That's what that just said. That should be a fresh take for you and I. That when he's, he's talking to the law guy, and the law guy is going, since life, is saying this like underneath undertones, since life is all about religion and law, Jesus, since that's the biggest deal in life, Jesus, what's the most important? And Jesus says, oh, you want to know what's most important? A relationship with God and relationships with people. It's not just about love. He wasn't just saying, like, be nice, hold doors open. Because you have to apply that to God, too. Your job is not to just hold the door open for God. He was speaking about relationships and how you and I, our greatest need, the most important thing in life, is a relationship with God and a relationship with people. And you know what our society is horrible at right now? relationships. Uh, let me teach you some stuff you may already know, but I'll just bring it up. Uh, if you study poverty in our world, you're going to find three major classifications of poverty. Of course, you're going to find material uh, when you don't have the basic necessities regarding like food or, or, or just even a place like a shelter of some sort, and, and you don't have the materials you should have. That's considered poverty if you don't have that Uh, spiritual poverty. Come on, existence of the church. Jesus knew that you and I would need help, that we would have weeks that go, woo, and dip down, and weeks that are like, oh, life is awesome, and that we would find ourselves sometimes in poverty spiritually. And if you just look at the news nowadays, you see the poverty of our world regarding spirituality, as in, better yet, connection to God. But I want to point out that one of the poverty levels in the world is, is relational. That you could actually, it's not the amount of relationships that you, you could right now be feeling this, that you don't have the, the close relationships that you crave, that something in you is built in you to want. Now, some of you are like, I'm introverted. I, don't, I just need a book. That's all I need is a book. And that's not true. That's not true. No matter what your personality is, you were made, crafted by the creator, God himself, to want and need relationships. If you, if you take this uh, relational needs talk that I'm doing and put it into your core needs, find this interesting. Dr. Uh, Katie Koch says this in her book, Five to Thrive. Uh, the, by the way, just pause the sermon for a second. You, you need this. This is not what the sermon's about, but this is something you need. If you have anybody in your life, okay, here. So these core needs, these identified as the core needs that every one of us, all of us, not anyone left out, this is what we all need. Security. Who can I trust? And some of you are like, nobody. Okay, so identity. Identity. Who am I? You see our society right now trying to figure this out. It's just showing you this is one of our core needs. It's why it's a big deal. Uh, belonging. Who wants me? Purpose. Why am I alive? Competence. What do I do well? These by professional people who have studied you and I and the human being, all the way we understand want. These are our five core needs. What I find fascinating about them 
is it requires relationships. For you to actually have your core needs satisfied. It's not just the belonging one. You're like, oh yeah, I see the belonging one. No, who can I trust? Some of you are like, you don't trust people because of past experiences. And so when you choose not to trust because of the past, guess what you're not going to have in the future? The relationships you need. Identity, who am I? We're allowing the wrong people to tell us this. We're allowing our feelings to tell us. This is why you need people and the right people, of course, belonging, but purpose. Why am I alive? What do I do well? You need people. You need relationships. Let me use this old phrase, terminology, that it takes a village to raise a child, right? I believe it takes a village to do life well. I don't think it's just in relation to raising a kid. It takes a village. Let me show you uh, a village example. Some of you, all you can think about is village people, and you're going to have to get over that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, generation gaps. Uh, Let me show you an example of a village moment. Jesus is in a house teaching and preaching, and what happens is, is the house gets full, and then people begin to even crowd around the house, around the doors, the windows, are just like listening in to this guy preach and talk about stuff. They're like, this doesn't sound like religion. This sounds like a relationship with God and other people. What in the world? And they're so intrigued that it's packing the place out, and you're going to see a village. Mark chapter 2. While he's preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd that I just told you about. So they dug a hole through the roof or roof, wherever you come from, above his head. Some of you are like, that's so sweet. Oh, come on. Someone digs a hole in your roof. You're like, call the cops. (laughs) Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Let me give you a picture so that we're all in the same place at the same moment. You've got Jesus preaching in a house and it's packed. So packed that the only option is not to like even weave through the people. Excuse me, excuse me. Got a paralyzed guy. Excuse me, excuse me. They don't even do that. The only option they have is to go the roundabout way, go up the stairs, because there's often stairs to get to the roof or a ladder, get up on top of the roof and start like literally making a hole in the roof. Can you imagine this moment? Jesus is preaching and teaching, and all of a sudden, everyone's going to get distracted. I mean, you're like, is there a woodpecker up there? What's going on up there? But then all of a sudden, the roof begins to open up even more and more and more, enough to fit a human man just down through there on a mat down in front of Jesus. Jesus, forgive me for saying it this way, but you need to hear it this way. Jesus is not stupid. He's aware of what's going on. This man is paralyzed. He has a physical need. He's paralyzed. Everyone around sees the obvious fix here. You've got Jesus who now has a reputation. He has a reputation of healing people, of doing the supernatural. That's why these four guys are lowering their friend down in front of Jesus. And so it seems obvious, right? Maybe you've been frustrated sometimes with me. You're like, David, it's an obvious move here, Pastor David, is to do this. But then sometimes I don't do that, and you get frustrated. I wonder if they're frustrated with Jesus because they're like, Jesus, I mean, this is is what you do, man. So the guy lowers down. Oh, this is your option. Heal the guy. 
And the ones who already believed are prepped and ready to take this story and to spread it everywhere. They're so excited. Jesus, the healer, is about to heal the impossible, a paralyzed guy. This is going to be awesome. And look what Jesus says. Seeing their faith. Stop for a second. Already you and I are probably thinking it's the story of the paralyzed guy. It's the story of this guy getting going through the roof, right? The story's about the guy who can't do what he wants to do in life. Physically, he needs healing. The story's about him, right? Look what Jesus leads with. Because of their faith. Seeing their faith. Notice what Jesus pays attention to first. The dude's village. That's what he... This is where people get frustrated. They're like, Jesus, don't you see the the guy? But Jesus hones in on, and what's cool is this is written by a disciple. This is written by people around going, we're documenting what's going on. And what they lock onto is what Jesus did. He saw their faith. He saw the faith of the village, and then he does this. My child, your sins are forgiven. I bet some people were super disappointed. They're like, does he not understand what this guy's problem is? It's logical, don't you think? But Jesus leads not only with the faith of this village, the people involved with this guy, here's what I'm going to do first. Your sins are forgiven. You're thinking, oh, I I bet this guy had a guilty conscience. Jesus knows some things that we don't know, and so, of course, he's going to lead with, hey, let's clean some things up real quick. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. You don't have to feel bad anymore. See, sometimes we forget why Jesus offered us forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we think, well, it's heaven, right? The goal is heaven. Nope. The goal is not to feel shame and regret. No, that's not the goal. That's a great byproduct, but that's not the goal. Do you know the goal has always been a relationship with God? The goal has always been relationship. So notice that you and I see a physical need. It seems so stinking obvious, but this is all about relationships in this moment, and Jesus doesn't get distracted. He leads with, because of the faith of your village, I'm going to fix my relationship with you. How beautiful is it? Now, if you haven't read the story, you're like, but what, what happens next? He does heal the guy, which is cool. And the religious leaders are like, oh, my goodness. And there's a whole tension between you forgave sins, you healed a guy, what should we deal with? But what you and I need to see in this is that Jesus didn't just say the greatest thing in life that you and I should pay attention to is a relationship with God and relationship with people. He showed it over and over and over and over and over again relationship. So you need a village. Now, you may not know what a village is, Right? You're like, is that the phase before town and then city? Like, how's this work? Here's a, here's a definition of village, a diverse community of consistent, interconnected people. Spoiler alert. A church is a village. There's different sizes of village, just so you know. But a diverse community, everyone doesn't think the way that you think. Everyone doesn't look like you look. Everyone doesn't do what you do. 
You need a village. You were made to need a village, and many of us don't have one. We're trying to do relationships the way we used to in third grade. It's when you go out to recess, and you want to swing on the swing, and then all of a sudden you make a best friend, the person next to you. What? You're like, why do what do you guys like about each other? Nothing. They're swinging, so we're best friends now. Do you know recess was village making, right? And as adults, that's why we're like, I don't know how to do this. To where some of you have concluded, listen to me very closely, some of you think you no longer need a village. Be careful. We live in what's called, they call us the loneliness generation ever. The loneliest generation ever. That's us. Yay us. How about we fix it? So let me prove some stuff to you. Here's why we need a village. We need pushed and challenged. Yeah, you do. That's why you need a sermon who doesn't politically correct. Yeah? That's why you need a pastor who will regularly offend you. I'm just kidding. No, like, so I, this is, we, we need pushed and we need challenged. Proverbs 27, 17, many of us know this and we didn't even know it was in the Bible. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You have blind spots. So do I. You get into a rut, so do I. It's why we need pushed and challenged. It's why if you like sports, maybe you don't, so forgive me, but if you like sports, the best teams have a coach because the coach isn't there to just, all right, professionals, here's how you dribble a basketball or here's how you throw a football. They don't need that, but they need someone to extract a few extra percent of potential out. Uh, You could study this if you want. You ought to. Scientists have discovered this. Navy SEALs have discovered this, that you and I cannot reach our potential on our own. We need someone to push us, to, to actually like sometimes offend us, to sometimes challenge us. If it helps, let me tell you about my life. Uh, one of the things I have no clue how to do is be a pastor. I know I went to school and did all that, but some of you went to college, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you don't know this about me, every single year, I travel and go visit with a group of pastors, and we are led, our little small group is led by a pastor who has led uh, larger groups than we've ever led and has led a lot longer than we've ever led. And you know what we do? Here's here's the secret sauce. We bring loads of questions, each one of us. And he has this little, you know the giant post-it note things? And he says, all right, what questions do you have? And if you don't ask a question, I think you don't get invited the next time. And so that's how, like, so you better bring stinking questions. And so he's like, what questions do you have? And the whole group begins to rattle out questions that that your pastor has and that other pastors have. How do we, what do we do? What do you think? What was your experience? How did you? And we begin to draft that out. and And then we shut up. And we let, we call him Yoda. I know it's weird. There's probably a more spiritual name, but forgive me. And he begins to go through the questions and help me be a better pastor to you because I need it. So I got coaches. I got, I got coaches in my life, people in my life that help me be a better husband because my goal is to be a better husband than any of you could ever dream of being. <laughs> I'm competitive. <laughs> I have people that speak into my life help me be a dad. I need pushed and challenged, and so do you. And Scripture tells us we need a village for that. Let's go a little nicer. 
We need encouraged and reminded. Oh, how sweet. Yes, we do. Romans 1, 12. Uh, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. That sounds logical for a guy who wrote something that's in the Bible. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're teaching or learning. You need to be encouraged. You need a village to get the encouragement that your soul currently craves. And we live in the world right now who does, can we just say the opposite of encouraging each other? We need to be good at this. First Thessalonians. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. It shows you examples that in the past the church was known for how well we encouraged each other. What would you think about us being that kind of a church? It doesn't mean that we have to get rid of truth and we can't speak truth, but sometimes we think it's always an either or. Why can't we do both? Let's be like crazy encouraging of each other. Now some of you are like, David, I don't have anybody in my life that will encourage me. You live with all jerks, you work with jerks, everyone around you a jerk. Okay, all right, all right. You need to be encouraged. The best option I can have is I'd like to be in your life. So here, let me give you my number. 605-250-1224. Some of you totally still think this is a scam. It's so funny. When people reply, oh, it's really you. You want me to send you a picture of my face? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. If you don't have anybody in your life, or maybe you do, and you're just like, I need to be encouraged, then just text the word encouraged to my number, and, and I'll, as often as I can, we'll send you a verse or an encouragement, or maybe if I fall in my face that day, I'll take a picture and be like, hey, I bet your day's going better than mine already. So I want to encourage you. If you don't have anybody in your life, listen, no church is too big for the pastor to be a part of people's lives. So listen, if you need encouragement, I can't do any more than just give you my stinking number. Got it? So let's not live another day in a deficit of encouragement. All right. We need picked up and protected. We need to be good at this church. Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Most of us have our own stories, don't we? of a moment that you fell. And it's more than just falling on your face. It was a moment and everyone left you. Hmm. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. I guess that's for those of you who camp, whatever. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. I love the word, and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord. It's not easily broken. I'm going to bring it up again. Church, what if we got really good at this? Where when we saw someone fall, our mode was not what did they do or did you hear about? What if we said, hey, let's get that person picked up and protected because the devil's the one who's the ultimate responsible one. Can you imagine what would happen in a church like that? I'm excited. Let me show you another one. We need other people's talents and gifts. Yeah, you do. I do too. We're not good at everything. We're trying to be good at everything. Romans 12. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. No, do not misread this. It's like, oh, well, my gift is not, so I'm out of that one. No, that's not. This is exampling we all do different things. If you are a teacher, teach well. All right, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Other portions of the Bible talk about how the church is a body and that we need all of the parts of the body. What it's exampling is this, is that you bring something to the table that I do not, and I bring something to the table that you do not. We need a village. If you want to fulfill the potential that God put in you, he designed it to require others to help bring it out. Hmm. So class, let's review. (laughs) We need pushed and challenged, encouraged and reminded, picked up and protected, and other people's talents and gifts. And some of you right now are going, that's my BFF. I'm going to text. Right now you're like, I just want you to know the pastor just said what we need, and you're everything. You're absolutely everything. I I knew some of us would be there. And no, no, there's a whole other group going, I've never met that person. <laughs> Let me help. You're not supposed to go after one person who can do it all. You're supposed to have a village that this is all included. Let me walk this out a bit more practically. Your spouse, please, if you're married, listen. Your spouse is not in your life to accomplish all of this for you every single day. Parents, it is not your role to be that for your kid every single day for the rest of your life. You need a village to bring that. Many of us are still trying to duplicate what happened in elementary school. Skip middle school, that was tragic. High school and college. And I'm telling you, what we're trying to do is find that friend that happened in a dorm And we're like, as an adult, I just don't have those friendships anymore. Or you're like, forget that. I'm just going to be friends with my family and that's it. You need a village. You need family. You need people you're not related to as well. We need to literally find our people, which means you need to be a part of a village rather than trying to find the most perfect, epic person you could ever find who does everything right always. Your next step is be a part of a village and you will find those things inside of the village. There's, uh, it's an essay or a poem, however you look at it. If you're like, our pastor reads poetry. I I really don't actually. Um, But I read this because it really resonated. As I read it, I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot of conversations and longing that I'm hearing from other people. It's written by, uh, her name's uh, Bumi Laditan, and she wrote an essay called I Miss the Village. I Miss the Village. That's the whole thing. It's all about her missing some village, but what she tells you in the essay is that she's never actually had that village. But she misses the village, and as she is raising her child at home, she writes about the village that she never had. You'd know me And I'd know you. I'd know your children. 
and you'd know mine. Not just on a surface level, favorite foods, games, and such, but real true knowledge of the soul that flickers behind their eyes. I'd trust them in your arms just as much as I'd trust them in mine. They'd respect you and heed your no. I miss that village of mothers that I, I've never had. The one we traded for homes that despite being a stone's throw, feel miles apart from each other. The one we traded for locked front doors, blinking devices, and afternoons alone on the floor playing one-on-one with our little ones. What gives me hope is that as I look at you from across the park with your own child in tow, playing in her own corner of the sandbox, I can tell from your curious glance and shy smile that you miss it too. Whether this reads your mail or not, let me tell you something that I'm aware of. The majority of our church right now is not a part of a village. The majority of our church has some sort of relational poverty going on. And it's time that you and I say this has to stop. If you look at the symptoms in society about loneliness and discouragement, anxiety and stuff like that, some of that can be solved by getting more people involved in their villages. You do know the tactic of a devil, right? Of the devil? Do you, do you know what prey does? Isolates you. The number one thing he wants you first is isolated. So it makes sense that Jesus was like, you want to know the most important thing? All right. Relationship with God, relationship with people. So I told you that uh, I would tell you what I think God wants us to hear, but some of you were hoping I would forget this. Nope, haven't. That I'm going to give you something to do. I want to introduce you into, an, oh, I'll call it an on-ramp into the village. It's called Love Your Neighbor Week. This is not a desperate plea to get more volunteers. I suspect we'll have hundreds, if not thousands, of people involved in this. I'm going to tell you we're going to get done what needs to be done. But if you want an on-wrap, especially if you're brand new and you're like, I don't have the people in my life, I'm brand new, I want to meet some people, what's the church do for me? No, it's what do you do in the village? And so we do a missions trip to our city every year. There's backstory to it, I'll tell you really quick. I moved here, was like, I'm going to be a pastor, no clue how to do it. Started meeting some people. I met the director of the Red Cross in our area. So we're just talking, get to know each other. He texts me, says, hey, come meet me. I go meet him in a neighborhood, show up to the house that he tells me to show up. But what I notice is, as I pull up to the house, there's the church vans and trailers. You've seen those? Typically, like 15 passenger dangerous vans and the trailer on there, right? You go, oh, yeah. And I show up, and I see that on on the trailers, but even the license plates, they're not local. They're like Texas and Alabama and Florida. And I'm like, what? what? I mean, are they renting these here houses? What's this do? What's going on? So I asked my buddy, you know anything about those churches out there? He's like, oh yeah. Every year, churches send teams to our city to do work that needs to be done in our city. I'm like, People do missions trips to our city? It's the first time I ever lived in a place that people like came to the place I lived to serve the people that I live with. I drove away and heard God very clearly. He says, you better lead this church to do missions trips in the city that the church exists. And so since then, we've been doing missions trips, yes, globally, but also locally. 
And you may think, good, we're a church that meets the needs of other people. Yes. But don't miss that this is an opportunity for your own needs to actually be met. That you would actually be a part of a village, get to know someone, work alongside, shoulder to shoulder. You need this. And so do the people outside of our church. There's your on-ramp. May God work in your life to where you have the village that you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think we heard you. Uh, God, thanks for the Bible that shows us no matter what's going on outside and seems confusing and ever-changing. God, thanks for the Bible that shows us what's really important, what's really valuable, what's really true. And so, God, we acknowledge in this moment that we are grateful that you want a relationship with us. Wow. So, God, would you renew this in our hearts that we would work on our relationship with you and that we would work on our relationships with others. God, thanks for this truth. Thanks for leading us and challenging us and encouraging us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.